Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Small Biz Brainiac. I am your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay, and I'm here with your other host, the creator of the word Nunya, Robert Attridge. Thomas Rock, how are you today? I am doing great. How are you? Good. Uh, glad to know that I get credit for the word Nunya. It seems to have taken off. It has. It's caught on. I finally heard it through other channels other than your mouth. Yeah. Which, which I can't say is I'm happy about, but. Well, I'm glad that uh, others that you associate with find the need to say it to you. And just for the audience sake, it's, it's, you use it, you, you usually use it when you're saying, somebody asks you a question and you say nunya and they look at you stupidly because what you said sounds stupid and then you say none your business yeah i think i think most people probably have heard it by now it's been around a while well yeah you've been saying it for a long long time <laughs> so i mean I, I it's been a long time well i've used it on a lot of people yeah well well that's uh that's enough about that let's talk about our expert panel member today uh, she is the Director of HR and Employee Benefits for Venture Employer Services, Inc., which is a Chandler, Arizona-based professional employer organization. And under her direction, she provides benefits administration and HR services to hundreds of clients across the country and to thousands of employees. They're actually called co-employees. And I think there's around 40,000 of them maybe a few more than that. And uh, certainly that's no small task. And in addition to that, she is responsible for the 75 plus internal employees of venture, which, you know, is a full-time job in and of itself. And it takes a special person to be able to pull that kind of uh, job off. Chris is a, well, I guess I should say her name. It's Chris Hansberger. And is it Hans Berger? You know, I think if uh, you asked my husband's family what the proper pronunciation would be, it would probably be Hans Berger. Um, <laughs> not ever having traveled to Germany myself, my husband has been there. Um, I'm sure the German people would probably say that we butcher the name on a daily basis. So just the standard Americanized version of Hans Berger will do. <laughs> All right. Well, I've, I've uh, known you for several years, and I don't know that I've ever ask that but every time i pronounce it i want to say hansberger there you go i like it you know it's like an international flair yeah maybe we'll yeah. start maybe i'll start calling yeah. you that from now on maybe it'll take off like nunya <laughs> never no, nothing can match that <laughs> <laughs> nothing can come close to nunya well chris you are a kind of uh take no prisoners type of person uh I have said before, maybe not to you, but in talking about you to other people that your favorite tool is a velvet hammer. Uh, 
I, I know you are a hard worker and I've seen you at a few company parties and so I think you're pretty uh, hard partier as well. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And actually, I'm just kidding. You don't work that hard. Yeah, this is true. No, the partying is far more exciting. So, yeah. You're much better at that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, aren't aren't the HR HR people are always the, you know, known as the life of the party, right? Yeah, they're the sleepers. They're sleepers. You see them at the office. You think that they're, you know, nose to the grindstone, mm -hmm. rigid. They kind of have to be because of the bit. job. Yeah. This is true. There's typically an element of fear involved, you know, as if it's, you know, people in an HR role would not be approachable and whatnot. And it's that dreaded fear of, God, I don't want to go in there. Please. Nobody don't, wants you to know. talk to the HR no. director. <laughs> and it's, yeah, when you walk into a room and there's a casual conversation going on, people tend to stop talking when I walk into a room, which I find extremely humorous. Well, nothing good could come from a discussion with you. Well, clearly. <laughs> you know, it could be, you know, some type of, of, you know, inappropriate behavior going on that, you know, could be used to my advantage in the future. So, <laughs> well, so you've been with Venture for what, four years or f four years? It four was, years. Uh, I just had my fourth anniversary first week of December. Awesome. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself then. Where did you come from? What, tell us about your background. So yeah, um, it was 1990. Uh, oh goodness, did I say 1999? I did say 1999. So 1999, I got a phone call from a girlfriend of mine that was working for a staffing company. She was a recruiter, and she was having a difficult time placing someone in a position with any longevity. And called to see if I knew anybody who was interested in the you know HR benefits world. It was for a hospital district in the Inland Empire in California. So it actually kind of piqued my interest. We had recently sold uh, our family business and I was working for the company that we sold the business to. So I said, well, tell me a little bit more about it. So she did. And I said, well, great. You know what? I think I'd like to give it a shot. Always focused on the HR functions within our family business, but it was on such a small scale. Didn't really necessarily, you know, constitute as HRR benefits. It was more office administration. So she said, yeah, absolutely, you know, show up at this time, this place, you know, eight o'clock Monday morning. And I'm like, mm, interview? She's like, oh, no, they're looking for a warm body that's going to stay for more than a hot minute. Apparently, I had had nine predecessors prior to my arrival to the hospital. So I showed up on Monday morning. <laughs> wow. And as expected, it was just, you know, a very chaotic environment. And I just kind of dove in and started doing some research and figured out what their programs were and how they were uh, administered. Um, and just that's pretty much how I cut my teeth. So that was August of 99. I stayed with the hospital until, oh gosh, early spring of 2006. And it was, you know, just the most amazing opportunity. So one of me, 2,600 employees um, in five separate locations, we had unions to deal with, um, collective bargaining units as well. We had, oh gosh, 
and you're dealing with, you know, clinical staff as as well as, you know, everyday workers in that respect, office administration and, you know, janitorial and so on and so forth. So that's pretty much how I broke into the HR world. It was just purely by happenstance out of the desperation of a friend of mine that needed a live warm body. And I happened to be that live warm body and it just fit. I absolutely love benefits. It's typically what most HR professionals despise um, because there's so many moving parts and I love it. I love everything about it, the employee interaction, the client interaction, developing the products and, you know, it's just a, it's a great fit. That's incredible. I can't believe that that's how you got started, that you were just literally thrown to the wolves. Yep, absolutely. In that, in the first 18 months that I worked for the hospital, um, we actually changed plan designs on our major medical. And of course, it was all fully self-insured. So we're doing all of the claims funding. These were back in the HMO days where, you know, you had benefits that were associated with the facilities in which our employees worked. And so you've got all kinds of, you know, capitated services. And that carrier that we were working decided that, we were a little bit too much of a risk because we were, you know, clinical in nature and they decided to not renew us, went with a new carrier and they actually went bankrupt nine months into it. So in the first 18 months with the hospital, we froze the pension plan. We changed medical carriers three times and just a a host of, of other exciting things that we got to deal with. So yeah, that was the the first 18 months in HR for me. That's incredible. I mean, to go from really no prior experience and certainly not at that level and or formal education in the area to to that position with that kind of responsibility with that many employees yeah that's that's that, pretty crazy it's overwhelming i can't i can't <laughs> so that really where, speaks where to, do you begin yeah that yeah. that speaks to your ability to uh your abilities, you know, your ability to work under pressure, to juggle multiple balls at the same time, to to really just your tenacity and work ethic. So I take my hat off to you well, for that. Great thank job. Thank you very much. Absolutely. No wonder it, we yeah. hired you. Yeah. It makes it perfect was, sense. And I actually wanted to take credit for hiring you, but as it turns out, um, Attridge yeah, gets to take that credit. So after much debate, we determined it was me. We were, we, we remembered it was me that yes. hired her, right? Yes. Yes. I'm going to well, say it was a collaborative effort between the two of you because, you know, I did actually sit down with Robert for the the formal interview, but I'm thinking that it was, you know, a collective decision between the two of you. That's very. So you can both take credit. That's very political of you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure I did run it by. Thomas yeah. Rock. Absolutely. You know, get his, his input get is, his you blessing. Know. Get his input. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted absolutely. to feel good about it. So Yeah. Patronizing me. No. <laughs> never. You gotta make him feel important sometimes. Exactly. Well, let's move on and actually talk about what we're here to talk about, which is small employer benefits and what a small employer can do to compete for talent against larger employers. And I wanted to throw out a few questions that we're going to talk about. So for example, what kind of benefits are there? I think we should talk about 
the different types of benefits. Which benefits should a small employer provide in order to compete for talent? Which benefits do employees value the most? Uh, is there a better way for them to offer group health other than to sponsor a group health plan? For example, maybe pay the employee a fixed monthly amount in cash and let them go out to the marketplace and get their own coverage. Uh, how should employers go about offering voluntary benefits? So those are just some some of the questions I jotted down that we can talk about. And that's a lot of, those are deep questions. I mean, we could actually just take one of them and talk about that one for the rest of the episode. So let's see what we actually get covered. Um, first, let's talk about what types of benefits there are. Chris, did you, could you give us a rundown of, of kind of what's available? So, you know, kind of in the benefits world, there are those core benefits that most employers want to focus on, and it's what their employees typically tend to ask the most for. So it's your major medical, um, dental services, vision services. So those are going to be the core benefits. Um, Ancillary services, which dental and vision would technically fall in the ancillary column as well. But I think more from an ancillary perspective, you're looking at your life products and your supplemental services cancer, short-term disability, long-term disability, um, accident products, critical care. So there are a lot of of wellness products that are out there. And of course, EAP benefits, which is an employee assistance program, um, are always really popular as well. But for small employers, the core benefits are really what is going to attract the talent and retain the talent in, you know, the employer size between 10 and 50 or 10 and 75. Um, And it does make a huge impact when the candidates themselves are actually shopping for a new employer. Yeah, if I had to prioritize them, I would put them in the order of health, dental, vision, a 401k plan, life insurance, and then on to the rest of those supplemental benefits that you mentioned, like the cancer and disability and accident. I would agree. And maybe... Maybe the wellness is starting to get a little more traction. It is. I think it's becoming more popular. Um, there have been, you know, some recent changes within, um, you know, the the governing unit of how the Section 105 is used as opposed to the 125 from a pre-tax perspective. So HRA reimbursements used to be a very popular thing, which you had kind of mentioned earlier. You know, do you allow an employee to go out and, and directly purchase something? So direct consumer product, where they're either going to their local exchange in their individual state, or they're going to the healthcare.gov website and looking for a product, and then the employer turns around and reimburses them a portion or an entire, you know, the entire premium amount. Um, I think as things transition um, with our, you know, with the the changes that have come across, I, I think we'll see a little bit less of that in the future. But small employers are limited on what they can do. They are, and and, I'll, and I want to talk about that. So, but just to recap, you know, the core benefits, you know, health, dental, vision, and four hundred one k. And so maybe we'll focus on talking about those over the next few minutes here. When you talk about health, small employers really are at a significant disadvantage because they just don't have the spread of risk, the the, the numbers, the size. And 
there just aren't that many options for them. And so I think there are some creative ways to go about, you know, handling that aspect of it. I don't think the ACA, at least in my opinion, doesn't really do much, you know, the Affordable Care Act to to help because the exchange plan benefits aren't aren't that great and and most don't compete with what a larger company is able to offer. I agree. You know, there there are some bronze level plans that are out there that, you know, can kind of get the job done, if you will. Um, when you get into gold and platinum level benefits through the exchange, even for a healthy 30 something individual that's looking at it, you know, you're more than likely not going to qualify if you, you have a moderate income you're not going to qualify for a subsidy. So folks can look at paying anywhere from $600 to $1,100 a month for a platinum level benefit, which is traditionally about the level of benefit uh, an employer will purchase at. So when you're thinking about the difference on individual products versus group products, most group products are at that gold platinum level. And that's all based upon the out-of-pocket expense as well as annualized deductible. Yeah. And we're really talking to employers with less than 50 employees in this discussion, right? Because the the dynamics change after 50 because one, and again, that's full-time equivalents. And I've got episodes on that in the past that you can go listen to. I just don't remember what they are off the top of my head. But, (laughs) you know, once you've reached that 50 full-time equivalent, then the, the, the dynamics change a little bit one because you have to offer you know an ACA either a minimum essential coverage or or a minimum value plan under that you don't have to provide the coverage and so you don't have to worry about you know sending your employees out to the exchange on their own so if you did want to offer them a fixed monthly amount in cash with which they can go and purchase benefits, they could go individually to the exchange and get what is best for them and not be forced to accept what, you know, you package for them in a small group health uh, arrangement. This this is an important point here. I think uh, you briefly brought up HRAs um, and I think when you talk about reimbursing employees for, you know, obtaining their own insurance, I think you need to be careful how you do that. Uh, do that. Setting up an HRA is, is, in my opinion, the best way to go about that. If you're just going to give employees cash to go get their own coverage without validating that they're actually obtaining the coverage, you know, there's some tax implications with that. Um, if it's not done through an HRA, um, and then, you know, those employees may just be pocketing the cash and you're not, the, not using it for, uh, it, it's intended purpose. You know, they get used to using that cash for other things and then they start to view the situation as, well, you don't provide me, you don't provide me insurance yet you, you attempted to. That's a good point. Yes. Absolutely. You need to use the the proper uh, vehicle so that you 
get the tax benefits of it. And yeah, if they're not, if it's not actually being spent on, on insurance, then you're right. It just sort of morphs into part of the salary. Right. It's a, it's a bonus or additional income. Yeah. And that's something that that small employers fall into a lot because they're trying to do right by their employees and yet they don't realize that the need of each individual is going to vary. The 20-somethings of the world, our millennial generation, don't have as much concern about, you know, Uh, obtaining appropriate health care for those what-if moments, where our older generation, maybe our baby boomer generation that have not yet retired, it's a huge factor for them. So they would definitely utilize every dollar provided to them to purchase a product, um, where the millennials, more than likely, they'll just kind of stick it in their pocket and call it a bonus, as Robert had said. Well, let's talk about dental and vision then. Those are nearly not not nearly as difficult to obtain. In fact, they're easy to obtain, and they there are. are a lot of options out there. Uh, what what's a typical dental benefit look like, Chris? So with dental, there's a there's a broad range. If you're looking for a local provider or a regional provider, you're going to get you know slightly less benefits. So it'll be a reduced premium. If you're looking at a national provider, then those benefits are, are going to be a little bit more robust. But they typically will come with a waiting period. So we you know we won't uh, we won't point out any specific provider, but some of the major providers in the dental arena, um, even for large groups in excess of three, four, or 500 employees still impose a waiting period. So it definitely is do your research and find the right plan that works for you. But there are amazing products out there for the small business owner that um, don't require a lot of participation. Typically, it's at 25%. So, you know, if you've got 25 employees and you're wanting to offer a voluntary dental product, even as the employer, if you're wanting to contribute a small amount, that's always beneficial. But you don't have to have that many folks actually join the plan to be able to have a small group plan. They can range anywhere from, say, $25 to $150 a month, and that would be for basic DHMO coverage, so it would be a managed care product, all the way up to the Cadillac of plans that would be a PPO that didn't have in and out of network restrictions for a family. That could be as much as $150 a month. Um, A lot of these plans include various uh, opportunities for services. Some would include orthodontia, may only be for the children not necessarily for the adults, but they all, you know, put in their plan offering its basic package. So those are going to be your, you know, your x-rays and your cleanings and your evaluations. And those are typically at a $0 copay. So you would go in twice a year for a cleaning. You may have a small deductible to meet, but it's virtually going to be at no cost for preventative care from a dental perspective. Excellent. That is a lot of information you just packed in there. So thank you for that. That's her specialty. That's exactly. what I do. Absolutely. That's why she's here. <laughs> if you don't have a headache after I explain benefits, then you really weren't paying attention very closely. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's designed to, I can to feel, be I can most feel one kind of coming on, actually. Do you feel so. it? It like starts at the back of the head and yeah. it just kind of trails up over the, to the top before it hits you right on the bridge so, of the nose. That's when you know you're really paying attention. I'm, I'm listening. I'm there listening. There you go. Uh, vision insurance. 
Vision. Vision is very similar to dental in that respect. A lot of regional carriers that will allow you to focus on maybe your big box retailers for services um, to more of your national carriers. They're going to have a few more bells and whistles. Vision coverage is very, very easy to obtain and um, the the cost is very low. An employee-only coverage um, on a national dental plan could be as little as $10 a month. You need vision. You said vision. dental, but we're Did talking I say vision. dental? I apologize. So uh, a national vision carrier would be probably as low as $10 a month for employee-only coverage and probably wouldn't exceed much more than $45 or $50 for family coverage. Again, all plans are customizable. So when you're looking at products and you're working with a national carrier, you can basically design a plan that fits your need. If the majority of your population only wear eyeglasses and they don't have a huge interest in contact lenses, then you can kind of of extract that from an enhanced offering and it's just a flat reimbursement type of a situation. If it's the opposite and you know a large portion of your population does wear contact lenses, there are great plans out there that you can get daily wear for um, you know $50 copay or $60 copay, which can save your employees a lot of money on an annual basis. But again, they all include the examination, typically, you know, uh, general frames and lenses and and what have you may not have all the bells and whistles on a a lower product, but it's still going to allow you to to be examined at least once a year and get an enhancement or, you know, a revision to your existing eyeglasses if needed. Excellent. Well, let's move on to 401k then. And I think this is one of those areas where there is a lot of confusion. They're kind of a little more difficult a product to understand, but in my opinion, they're very important to have and they can, you know, be the difference between, between you winning a, an employee over your competition. I think it's definitely something that people are looking for as part of their employment benefits. Uh, but for a small employer, again, it's, it's a little expensive and can be very, very confusing to a small business owner and very time consuming as well to, to go and find the right plan and get it in place and then you've got a lot to deal with uh, regulatorily speaking every year. Very true. You know, what's most popular in the market is called a a simple 401k and it's anything but simple. the requirements behind it and the the matching and all of the components that are associated with it tend to actually make it more cumbersome than offering a simpler type of product. But I do agree with you, most uh, seasoned professionals that are coming into an organization, there is somewhat of an expectation of what that benefits package is going to look like. And it comes up a lot during the interview process. You know, what are your paid holidays and, and what are the benefits that you offer? Or do you have 401k with the match? Um, so adding this into the benefit fold for a small employer definitely will have an impact on whether or not a you know a, a specialized 
employer or potential candidate would be interested in joining your organization if you're unable to offer these types of things. But the a traditional 401k outside of, you know, utilizing, say, a PEO's type service would it's going to cost on average of anywhere between, you know, $4,500 to $6,500 for an initial setup. 5,500 filings will be required, which will be an additional fee. And that's on top of the existing broker fees, as well as the mutual fund fees for the investments. And of course, there's the matching, which is required. So 401k is is definitely one of those things that you need some assistance with. I would never recommend a small business owner going it alone. If you don't have a, a good resource, finding a good broker that can be honest with you. It's not just about the commission. It's not just about making money, but someone that you can actually trust. Then, of course, there's always the PEO option because here at Venture, we basically provide all of those service services for you on a multi-employer plan at a fraction of the cost of what you would pay for setting up an individual plan. So, so, so Chris, um, real, real quick, for, for employers that might be scared away of all of those fees and the, and the expense of administering a 401k, and then on top of that matching are there are there retirement plans or 401k plans where an employer match would not be required Absolutely. An employer can set up a very similar to a simple 401k. They can set up just a standard IRA and it would still be governed the same way. A lot of a lot of small companies tend to, to go with the financial institutions that maybe they do their business banking with and the local representative in their branch would be able to assist with setting up again, identified, it is a simple IRA, um, just for generalized purposes. And there isn't a requirement on an employer match. There are some that do handle IRAs as a, um, almost like a profit sharing where they can contribute, but it's strictly a voluntary product for the employees, you know, once meeting those waiting periods, so on and so forth. So there are other options that are slightly less um, confusing and complicated with so many moving parts. But again, this is all regulated. You want to make sure that you're offering a product that not only is advantageous, but also, you know, it it gives you the tax savings as the employer that you're looking for and is still enticing enough for the employee. Right. Yeah, I think uh, the point is, you know, if you're trying to be competitive and and get the best talent, you're going to want to offer a plan that does have a match. I, I just wanted to you know, ask the question, make sure there were options out there if, if an employer just simply couldn't afford that Absolutely. Match. And with and the 401k, the devil's in the details, right? And I, where I see most of the issues come up, it's after the fact when you come to find out that the, the funds, uh, the fees that are, are levied on the individual accounts by the funds and the commission and i think there's been there's been over the last several years more disclosure requirements put upon the brokers and the fund providers in that regard but it's still very confusing uh, when you're trying to get to the bottom of exactly how much those what, what those costs are so there's the obvious upfront cost that, that you talked about. And then Chris, and you also mentioned 
Uh, I think you did mention commissions and and fund fees, but that's that's where the the devil lies, in my opinion. Absolutely, it's it's definitely something that's difficult to navigate, especially if you've never been in a situation where you've started a 401k from scratch, but you know you need to do something to be competitive. Uh, I think small companies, small businesses in general, kind of get lulled into, well, let's go with the big guys. These are the commercials that I see on television, or these are the radio ads that I hear. And so, well, they're large organizations. They're going to be reputable. They're going to be able to help me. And unfortunately, it's like any other large provider. There's a reason that um, they can afford these television commercials and the radio spots and, and what have you. So the fees basically, you know, allow for all of the marketing that these large individuals or these these large four hundred one k companies or, or carrier broker housing. What would you call it? It would be like a, a I wouldn't call it a brokerage house, but in essence, a financial provider that's that's maintaining the the four hundred one k plan. You know, it, it does definitely add to the cost, which makes it difficult. And sometimes it just puts that price point out of reach for small business owners. And that's usually the biggest challenge. They always have the desire, but the, the fees usually hold them back. And there's no bigger argument. No, well, there are, I guess, better arguments. Depends on your situation. But if you're a small employer and you're looking to put a benefits package in place, your best option is to join a PEO hands down because you get all of the expertise that the PEO has in-house, i.e. if you were to sign up with Venture, you get Chris and all her expertise. But in addition to that, on the 401k alone, your costs are significantly less and the plan is significantly better than what you would be able to buy on your own with the fund options, with the quality of the the plan administration, with the the investing advice that comes along with it, and just the simplicity and ease with which it is administered. I mean, it's really a hands-off situation. So I, I can't uh, recommend that enough. There's no really no reason why you shouldn't partner with the PEO in order to maximize the your spend, right? And get the absolute best benefits package that you can. And really, now you are able to compete for that talent because you are a part of a much larger organization when it comes to the to the benefits. That's my I sales agree. pitch. I do. That, that's a great did one. Like I it? like it. It, did, it didn't sound like a sales pitch at all. Perfect. No, well, not at all. that's the perfect kind. It is. No, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. The The fees that are associated with so many of these services are either not present when you're working directly with the PEO. Um, and it just, it, it literally is so much more bang for your buck in that respect. Yeah. So, I mean, it just, could not say enough for it. And keep in mind, the plan is completely customizable when we're thinking about the 401k. So for a small business to join a PEO and, you know, participate in the 401k plan, you literally can, you know, design it to fit your needs. If you want a 90-day waiting period, great. If you want your folks to wait an entire year, you can do that as well. Have a match, not have a match. 
have a vesting schedule, have a safe harbor match that is 100% vested from day one. So there are all kinds of opportunities. And again, you know, the, the biggest point, my sales pitch is, you know, it is literally pennies on the dollar in what you would spend with a, an outside entity that would prepare the documents for you. All annual notifications are sent out by the PEO. It's all managed by the carrier and the third-party administrator that's utilized. So it literally as simple as filling out initial documentation, signing, dating, and then you're completely hands-off at that point in time. PEO takes over all enrollments, all changes, all distributions, all rollovers, and you do absolutely nothing but sit back and watch the smiles on your employees' faces just get brighter and brighter because they really do say, gosh, this is a great place to work because this is what my employer offers to me. Boom. There you go. That was good. Thank you. Well, we're quickly running out of time and we haven't talked about supplemental benefits, the voluntary stuff. We could talk all day about that alone. I wanted to quote a 2013 Towers Watson survey that they did where they estimated that by 2018 so just one year from now that 48 percent of employers you know would be offering voluntary benefits but there are so many options out there and you want to make sure that you are putting the right benefits together for your particular workforce right I mean, older people want more benefits. Younger workers have less disposable income to spend. So you need to really customize that offering for for your workforce. So is the, the question I have is, is the rise in popularity of the supplemental benefits, is that a result of the rising costs of, you know, major medical? Are people opting for cheaper, higher deductible medical plans and trying to supplement it with supplemental insurance? Is that is that what you see as the as the rise in popularity? Yeah, it definitely could be. You know, major medical is obviously the largest expense when you're looking at the the overall benefits package. Supplemental coverage, although some of it can be age banded and and gender determined, um, for the most part, they do have a lot of static rates. So once there's a composite rate in place, and you can get a $10,000 benefit for um, a cancer diagnosis, or you can get a $20,000 benefit for a critical illness diagnosis, then, you know, that type of situation, they're very, very small dollars. And when you're looking at folks that are, that don't have a high probability of incident. So the millennial generation taking a cancer policy, it could literally cost them as little as as 10 or $12 per month. But it is that protection that's out there. So the accident is probably the surge that we see happening um, with the most popularity Definitely with our millennial generation, because these are our, you know, kind of um, adrenaline junkies, if you will. These are our kids that go out and they go mountain biking and and not that it's just a millennial thing. I do know that Tom likes to get out and, and bicycle quite a bit. So, but, you know bumps and bruises and stumbles and and falls happen when you live a healthier active lifestyle so 
accident benefits. His bicycle has three wheels, though. I, I, I thought it was <laughs> this a does, This does provide some more stability, which is extremely important when you get outside of the millennial generation and still that's continue I, with those That's activities. what I was going to say, is that to me, and I have accident insurance, and I've used it because I do mountain bike, and a year ago I had a really nasty ankle sprain, and that, that was nice to have. Just uh, I'm still trying to recover from a from a fall a few weeks ago, and and as I get older, that uh, recovery process is a lot longer. So it's nice to. It is. In fact, I need to. Well, I didn't go to the doctor for this one. So, yeah. So self diagnosis yeah. does not necessarily constitute a reimbursement on you know an accident claim, but you know there's all kinds of creative ways of of pulling some information together. Not that I would ever encourage anybody to be dishonest with an insurance carrier, but you do no, seek no. treatment differently. And with all of the telemedicine services that are out there, which isn't even something that we've touched on today, um, you know, there are a lot of creative ways, and I don't mean creative in a deceptive way, but creative ways of managing your health. So accident is one of them, very, very popular. I've always been a huge proponent of, of short-term disability. You know, you have insurance for everything. You insure your car, you insure your home, you know, heck, you can insure your pets. Um, but what do you have that insures your paycheck? So in the event that you do get ill or become injured and you are incapacitated and you can't work, do you have enough savings you know, sitting there to be able to replace your income while, you know, you're incapacitated for two or three or four weeks. You know, I think short-term disability is something that most people generally think, oh, well, that's for someone that's having a major surgery or someone that's, you know, giving birth. Um, no, you know, disability is for every individual in in every category because you just don't know when that mountain biking accident could happen. Yeah, and especially if you're in the type of work where you physic, where there's a physical element to it, right? Where you've got to, absolutely. You know, I mean, I can get hurt and and be relegated to my chair, and but and that's fine. I can still do what I got to do. But if I were in construction, I would probably have to uh, consider giving it up because um, mm -hmm. I couldn't go out on the job and you know be swinging a hammer with. Climbing the, ladders, at and, least for the know. first week after that last that last fall, uh, disability is great. Accident is great. The hospitalization, even the cancer. I mean, you know those those. Uh, you know, there's no better time to have it than when you need it. <laughs> so, Absolutely. And and they are they do provide good benefits and and I think an, an, a good solid voluntary supplemental benefit program can go a long way as well to showing your employees that you care about them and their health, and it's going to help you round out that, uh, that compensation package. Couldn't agree more. And so at the end, I think we're at the end here. We need to kind of wrap this up because we're out of time. But to sum it up, our first recommendation is join a PEO because they're going to help you navigate these waters and provide all this uh, for you at the most reasonable cost. If you're going it alone, then you need to get a good advisor and a good broker and really work with them to design the package for your employee population. And our recommendation, start with the core benefits, the medical, dental, vision, and, and maybe a 401k, and then round it out from there as, as you're able. 
another key, in my opinion, to the success of a benefits program is employee communication. And we really didn't talk about that in this episode. I did do an episode a while back about the importance of educating your employees about how to use the benefits to make the most of it. Well, that's uh, all the time we have. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You are a treasure trove of knowledge. My pleasure. My pleasure. And we look forward to having you back later. Absolutely. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I did. It was wonderful. I appreciate the being able to to just share with individuals that just may or may not know where to start. So this is a nice quick way to learn a little bit about, gosh, I've been thinking about it and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So hopefully it's a couple of quick pointers that'll give them some direction. Yes, thank you. And that that is why we are here. So that'll do it. That's uh, all for today. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac. This will be fun to listen to after it's been recorded. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not that It's not that fun, actually. <laughs> I, I cringe at mine, but... It's not all that of the, fun. the side chatter. <laughs> it's it's much better just to record it and and move on. <laughs>